Welcome to the Along the Gravel Road podcast, where we're changing the conversation around mental health. Today, I have Gus Marillo talking about his journey with sobriety and his mental health through some of his um, work stress as an entrepreneur. Um, so it should be a really great conversation. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Gus. Hello, hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, um, you know, come and share your story with us. Uh, so we're just going to dive right in with, tell us a little bit about what, um, what your journey with mental health and with, um, with recovery has been like. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to be here too. Uh, this is, it's something that I get to talk about all the time in, in AA and in meetings and in therapy, but it's something that I don't get to talk about with like broader folks Mm -hmm. and like the general, you know, like community as much as I'd like to, but I'm excited to be here and talk about it. Um, Yeah, I'd say just a little bit about me and a little bit about like my story. I am, I was born and raised here in in Louisiana and in in Baton Rouge, um, or born in New Orleans actually. And then I started an advertising agency whenever I was in college. And so I jumped into a career pretty early. Like I was a young kid, I was 19 years old when I started it. And um, feeling the stresses of, like, uh, school and work and starting a business and trying to, like, make enough money outside of the business because it didn't make any money yeah. pretty early on. Um, and I'd say or after 10 years in, in that work, 10 years of running and growing an advertising agency and 10 years of entrepreneurship, um, pretty much uh, everything boiled over. Like, I had really not... Uh, paid attention to my health and mental health and and the stress I was dealing with. I was going a hundred miles a minute work-wise. And I thought that's what was necessary. I thought like I had to put everything in it for it to, for it to work out. And then, and then I, and then also I wasn't paying attention to like, to my substance abuse during that time. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a lingering issue and I had a million close calls and, and I say a million, I had, countless close calls where I'm, I'm surprised I either got out alive or got out with no trouble. Yeah. And then close to 18 months ago, kind of everything boiled over. Um, my drinking had got reached a level that like I wasn't proud of and it was hurting my life and my family. My, my work was, I thought, you know, I thought in the moment I was handling it well. Um, but I was, you know, working from seven to seven many days, like just by myself, like no one was asking me to. And, and it boiled over into, uh, reckoning with my drinking and my work all at once and, and had to exit being an entrepreneur and really, and then also exit my relationship with my wife all in one fell swoop. And so it was, it was, it was a tough moment. And so that was 18 months ago, um, or about to be in a few days. Um, it was tough to kind of see everything around me fall apart pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but it wasn't necessary for me to figure out, you know, what I wanted in this life, like on all planes, like it, it started off with like, what, what type of person did I want to be? And then everything stemmed out from there. Like what type of father do I want to be? What type of partner do I want to be? And then also like work wise, career wise, like where am I going to go from there? So, um, that kind of like started my journey into sobriety and then started me exploring all types of ways to to work through my mental health issues, work through stress, work through anxiety, work through sobriety. Um, 
and it's been really, really tough road, but it's it's an important one that I've I've had to take. Yeah. So yeah, that's a wow. little about me. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. What what did it look like getting help for you after that? Like once you realized it? Yeah. Um I it looked like for me and um I think a lot of the stories that I've heard in in these rooms that I'm in, I'm, I go to AA. It it was just a a moment where I I realized like my drinking had had taken taken over and had caused me to do and be something that I was not. And after one of those, like, count, I mean, there was countless horrible drunk stories that I've had and alcohol abuse stories that I've had. After one of them, I was just like, I, I, I woke up that next day, you know, terribly hungover, like not knowing what I had done or did or said. And, um, and I knew I needed help. I was like, this is, this is finally the moment where I, I, I feel like I, I can't say, oh, that was just another time this time. And so I ended up um, calling someone that I knew was in the program first before anything. Um, and so I called someone I knew that went to AA and I was like, I don't know what to do. I just know I need help. So that was the first call I made that next morning. And um, and he pointed me to, to like, that was pretty simple. He's like, download this <laughs> app. Uh, it's called Meeting Guide. And there's, I didn't realize how many AA meetings there was all across the city every single day. I had no clue. Mm. Um, but there was countless ones that day for me to go to. Um, so I did that. And then I also um, Googled uh, substance abuse therapist because I, I just, I knew I needed as much help as I could get. Mm-hmm. So that day I had also set up my first appointment with a therapist that focused on substance abuse to kind of talk me through like this journey and like what I need. I knew I needed abstinence. Like I knew that was like a given that day. I was like, I just can't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, went through those two routes um, to start. That was like kind of how it began. And then I remember jumping into that, that first meeting. It was that night. I didn't have therapy until like the next week. Mm. Um, and it was, it was, beautiful stories that people had um, listening to. And then there was also like, it was a meeting. It was one here in, in, in Baton Rouge and it was like off Highland Road. And it was like a bunch of people that said, it was my first time to a meeting. All these quotes that I was like, I wrote down all these quotes. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is me. This is exactly what it means for me. Like some person said, my two biggest enemies in life are bourbon and my ego. I was like, that's me. Like, that's totally me. Um, but then I remember it, it came time for me to at some point like introduce myself and where it, like I really kind of like struck me and I remember I started like crying was uh, announcing myself. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Gus and I'm an alcoholic. And I'd never said those words ever before till that night. And I was like, ooh, shit. This, <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed to curse. Can we bleep that out? <laughs> okay. Oh, you can curse. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <It's> okay. <fun. laughs> I, was, I was not sure. <laughs> But that's the real story. I remember, like, I was, <laughs> I was just feeling like, I um, oh man, this like that hurts to say it. Like mm. I've never said it before, um, but I knew it to be true. Yeah. Um, it took me months and months to work through like what that actually means and truly understand it. But um, but yeah, uh, and and then I I jumped into my first sessions with a a therapist who like really focused on this stuff mm-hmm. and who really understood what it's like to 
to like recognize that you have a problem, to go through the steps to, um, and, and what people's lives look like at, after they're, they've hit the bottom. Um, it was interesting. I, I jumped in my first, I just randomly Googled a person, jumped into my first session and it was so cool because in our first session, I realized his story was so similar to mine. He was a partner in an advertising agency. He had run an advertising agency in the city for years. His drinking in this in this ad world was like reached a level that he was uncomfortable with and stopped and left. Um, and it was just a Google search that I happened to find someone with a similar story. But it meant a lot in that first meeting. We built a lot of rapport yeah. after he shared a little bit of his story with me that first day. Um, and we just started working through it. Nice. What else did you... Um explore in therapy that outside of the substance use yeah we started with the substance thing like day one it was like all that but when these folks say they have a focus on it like they they have a focus on it yes but like substance abuse affects your relationships it affects your self-esteem it affects all kinds of parts of your life that we also had to work through as well Mm -hmm. um so you know what started in the first few sessions was like understanding my habits of drinking, understanding, you know, the way I use substances and trying to like uncover that it moved pretty quickly into the relationship with my then wife that we were separated at the time. And then uh, my kids and then my parents and trying to understand how I've affected all the people around me Mm. with my substance abuse and navigating those relationships and how I feel about it and how I feel about the situation. So I'd say it very quickly turned into just like, me understanding how to be a person, uh, the best person for all the people around me, even outside of the drinking. Um, and so we, we, we jumped into that pretty after, after a few sessions, but it it was, um, it was helpful. I I really didn't know what to expect. I I thought it was just going to be, all right, how can you, how do I stop drinking or just do less drinking? I was like, at first I was like, maybe I just drink a little less. And he's like, (laughs) what do you actually think you need to do? And it's like, no, I think, I think I need to stop. Like, yeah, it's, I think I'm done with this thing. Yeah. Were there any, like before you started therapy, did you have any like ideas like going into it, what it might look like or was there any stigma around it or before and then what it looks like now? I think before going into my first, the, so the good thing that helped prime me for understanding like what these conversations look like was going, I had gone through marriage counseling Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the topics, surprise, surprise, that came up during those was my level of drinking. I remember I did an alcoholic test with this marriage counselor. And she's like, you're on the line. And I was like, I don't think that test, it's hard to say what the test actually proves. But going through ma- marriage counseling a few years prior really helped me understand what it's like. So I, I knew I was going to go and, and have to be really honest with myself. Um, and the way they would work with me could could vary because I'd seen two marriage counselors and they were vastly different people. Mm -hmm. Um, But before that, I I really, I didn't have, uh, I think the stigma that I had against it before going into marriage counseling was I'm only going into it because I'm, I'm messed up. Mm. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. And so the same thing with the relationship was like, we're only going to marriage counseling at that point because there's something wrong with us. What I learned between that and seeing a therapist now is there's no reason why I shouldn't continue this on no, no matter how good or healthy or happy I feel. 
um, and I'm not messed up and there's nothing wrong with me. And it's just help that I like that I need to, to continue to stay grounded and stay level and stay happy. Yeah. That's a, that's a a theme sort of that keeps coming up in all these different episodes that we've done is that there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with you. Like you don't need to be fixed. There's just a lot of things going on in your life that can use some help and some support and that's totally okay. And I think a lot of people go into therapy or don't go into therapy thinking, because that means I'm admitting that, you know, there's something wrong with me or, or, you know, I should be able to handle this myself or whatever it looks like um, for different people. So how did, um, now that you, now that you've been through treatment and you're in recovery, like what does that look like now for, for you and your, with your family and everything? I think now the, what I've, what I've learned in throughout all the stuff that I've tried, I, I think it's building a lifestyle and a habit and a routine that proves the most effective, that helps me be the happiest, best version of me. Um, I ended up Early on, I tried countless things outside of uh, therapy and um, an AA. I tried, I got trained in transcendental meditation, which is a facility in New Orleans. Hmm. Um, and so, because I'd reached out to a bunch of people too. I think the weeks after, I was like, who else can I reach out to for help? So I got trained in transcendental me- meditation, which actually is, um, like meditation in general is a principle of, or it's, it's, it's like a part of one of the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to learn a way that I wasn't, I wouldn't distract myself. Um, and then, um, and I had built out a pretty solid like health routine and stuff too. But I think in the last two years, I didn't realize how fundamental it was, uh, to like a happy and fulfilling day. Mm -hmm. So I tried like all the, all this stuff early on. And what I've, what I've realized now is like the usage of all of these things, like being an uh, an active participant in AA and making the time for the program and making the time for reaching out to my sponsor, making the time to try to find sponsees, making the time at these meetings to to help in some way and be of service is equally as important to me as like my therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my morning routine, uh, like truly like uh, between working out and meditation and all the stuff that I've learned, it's, it's like a, uh, I'm awake 16 hours out of the day. That is how much time I need to spend on like creating a happy me. Mm-hmm. It's like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what it looks like is, is now like a year and a half ago, I was like under duress, like worried about all my relationships with my family and trying to mend them all. And then now I'm like actively mending while like trying to go deeper with these folks. Mm-hmm. Like before, like I might, have a close friend like and mess it up over one night drinking. And then now like I'm, I feel like I find myself actively reaching out to check on people more mm-hmm. um, because I'm like more intentional with uh, each of my relationships. Cause I realize how, how strained they can get with how bad I was before. And now I'm like, I'm sober. I'm happy. Like, so I'm, doing everything that I could do to make sure all the people around me are, are happy or see the best version of me as much as possible. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And so in now that you, now that you are sober, 
what are you like what are your experiences obviously you're in Baton Rouge you're in, you're in Louisiana it's definitely a, a drinking state you know a lot of the things we do especially in I think in your and you, you talked a little bit about like in your company and now your work that you're doing now a lot of things revolve around drinking here are uh, in the industry so can you talk a little bit about what that's been like for you yeah um I remember so I got sober early last year and then in, in the first three months, I had a bachelor party to go to. Um, and I was like, everything was, and it was in Baton Rouge. It was someone who wasn't living in Baton Rouge and that came back to the mm-hmm. city. And they're like, let's just go to all the bars that we went to when we were younger and then get as much messed up as possible. What was the intention that he had? Yeah. Um, and, and I remember I like, was sharing about it in meetings. And I was like, I don't know if I could do this. Um, I feel good. Like I hadn't drank. It was in 90 days at that point. I felt like I was like, all right, I haven't drank yet, but this is like the first time I'm dealt with this scenario. Um, and there was a whole bunch of like really helpful tips that I'd still use to this day. Um, and I think the biggest one for me was like, if I'm going to go do something, uh, with bad intentions, like if I'm going to this event with them worried that I'm, like really going to slip up and I have that like opportunity in my mind for me to slip up. And I don't have all of the steps in place to be able to leave immediately, like have a person to call. And if I'm not like setting myself up for success, I will not go. Mm. Um, so that first time I had a bunch of people that I texted that knew I was there. Everyone in that group that I went to this bachelor party with, I told every single person at the beginning of the weekend, Hey, I'm newly sober. Hey, I'm newly sober. And these, and thankfully these were friends that, had my best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. And so they were like super like excited for my sobriety because they had seen the worst of me, <laughs> but then also helpful. Like yeah. um, just making sure like, Hey, are you comfortable right now? Like, do we want to get like, they were all checking on me the entire time. So between like true transparency with all the people I was with, which I didn't have to do, but I, I wanted to. And with, all of the support system of the people that I texted, make sure like as, as something as small as like, I don't want my car locked in behind a bunch of other cars at a house. Mm-hmm. I just can't do that. I try to not ever do that or at least or early on. Now I've like, I've just came back yesterday from Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I couldn't leave. <laughs> um, and, and so in that scenario, like I'm, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have gone on this trip a year ago. I shouldn't have uh, early in sobriety. Yeah. But I have my routine. I have mm-hmm. the people that I call to check in on. I have waking up in the mornings and met praying and meditating. I had all that stuff now that helps me. Um, but yeah, I think like what I've, I'd say the biggest thing is like transparency and honesty. Um, and then also the thing that I've learned, like the drinking culture here is because um, I'm not going to be able to hide from it if I want to... Um, because of the people that I love, my family, my friends are all in it, but there's a way that I could participate. That's mm-hmm. like helpful to me. And that's the second thing I learned was being of service. So like that bachelor party, not only did I have all this stuff like set up for me to like leave and call folks, I had all that set up, but I was like, I went into that weekend is like, how can I make everyone have as much fun as possible? Mm-hmm. So I like organized where we were going. I, I went to Costco and I bought a bunch of steak for like 18 dudes and I was the one slaving over the the kitchen 
cooking uh, for 18 people by myself while they were all drinking and partying and all that stuff. But I made an amazing dinner for them. And they were all like, thank you so much, Gus. Like, I think, and, and I ended up that weekend with like, not thinking of like the crazy stories, which that was fun too, because I got to see them be wild and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I got to think of like, look back on how much I was of service mm-hmm. and how much I helped them and all the things that I did to be good to those people around me. And so I think like going into those events, which there will be LSU games, there will be bar nights, there will be all that stuff. And if you want to participate, I think the only way I can is how can I help mm-hmm. and how can I be of service? Yeah, that's great. And so what about, because like you said, you know, a lot of this started, um, or I guess you didn't really say, did the, did do you feel like this started in high school or was it after high school or was it when you started the Ooh. company? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think there was the, it was hidden in high school yeah. and college because everyone was getting wild. Mm-hmm. Um, my stories just were a tinge more wild than everyone else's. Like they were, like I was the only one who went to jail for peeing on a cop car. Um, well, someone else did with me as well. Um, I was like, I don't think you're alone. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, of my friend group, we all had stories like that. Mine were just the most interesting ones to tell because it was crazy. Mm. But um, looking back, like I really think it it started in high school when I didn't real when I realized, or I realized that every time I would go out and party in high school, I had the pure intention of getting the most messed up that I could possibly get. Like there was no like, hey, I'm gonna like chill out tonight or that didn't exist. So I didn't realize that until looking back, but it was hidden. Like it was the drinking culture in the city. It was a drinking culture of my friend group. Um, I don't think anyone really worried about my drinking or mentioned anything to me until like 24 or something like that, 23, 24, whenever everyone else slowed down right? and I didn't. So Mm -hmm. like when we would all go out, I would go out as hard as I would whenever I was 19. Mm. And, and and would drink to blackout, um, but yeah, it's, I think it I think it started a little early, and I just didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, well, I think the and the reason I asked you that is because for some people, you know, there is sort of these events in their lives that have led them to use alcohol or substances to deal with some of the stuff they've been through. And then for other people, it kind of is just, it kind of happened slowly over time until you no longer had control over it. And and I know like just being, doing some group therapy and stuff for some people that, that was like more shameful. Cause it was like, I don't have a, like a reason. I, it, my life wasn't that bad that I should have lost control like this. It kind of just happened. And, and for some people that's harder to cope with and to say like, there's not, again, there's not anything wrong with me. It, this is something that I do need help with now. I just can't control it anymore and that's okay. Um, so, you know, I think everyone sort of gets here in a different way, but everyone can still use that, that support at the end of the day. And so, um, then you had, I know you, we wanted to talk a little bit about like what it's like, um, working too. And like, you know, that's a big part of your life is your job and this idea of success. And so what does that look like for your mental health, for sobriety, your life in general? Yeah, I think, um, the, like I didn't, to go back to like a little bit of the previous point, cause it has to do with work. It's like, I didn't realize I had a, I started to realize I had a little bit of a problem whenever drinking, I was drinking 
to deal with the stresses of work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to party. Mm-hmm. I had I remember it was 2016 and I had I was drinking six drinks a night. Like two triples or uh, like three doubles every single night to deal with this to the stress of work. Um, Cause work was tough. Like it was, it was difficult, but it was like also not a traumatic thing that I was trying to cope with. It was like, I put a lot of myself into this business and mm-hmm. it was, it was going pretty well at the time. And at that point, the only thing I thought I had access to, to deal with the stress was, was, um was drinking. I was to like come down every day from work and then just like, or work. I would sit and work all night mm-hmm. just drinking at night. So I was like working a lot and getting a lot of stuff done, but just being buzzed while doing it. And that can make you feel like you're fine too, yeah. though. Because that was like, effective. Well, I'm I like successful. So <laughs> I think that's another thing that hit it for so long was yeah. like I wasn't uh, like I was a successful like entrepreneur or <laughs> theoretically, you know, like I was doing stuff that I was proud of, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I had a lot of stuff get to my head. Like truly, like in 2019, probably at some of the highest drinking, I was named Forbes 30 under 30 with a, with my business partner, which is like the worst. I said all the way back to that first quote, biggest enemies are bourbon mm-hmm. and ego. That was the worst for my <laughs> ego. <laughs> um, and and it didn't particularly help my drinking because I remember the, we, the event that we went to like was wild and I, I, I went past the line too many times. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I'm hot shit. And it, I was not, I, and I didn't realize uh, until until I I didn't realize until the moment that I was like I can't control this; it's controlling me. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment a year and a half ago. But work now, I think like I had to reckon with that question. Like, all right, I spent ten years running an advertising agency, ten years like building up a business from scratch. Uh, working on cool campaigns, working with cool clients, flying across the country um, all the time to work with brands and pitch brands. And I ended my career, ended my drinking, and ended my marriage all within a span of like 30 days. And so what did I want to do? And I think, and how did I want to do it? Because I could, I, I, I think entrepreneurship is such an awesome thing. But the way I did it in that moment and for the previous few years just wasn't good for me. Yeah. So I took a break. I didn't go. I had. I was thinking about jumping in um, to starting another business, starting something else. Um, but I ended up deciding to go work corporate for a little while. Mm-hmm. It's a different, definitely like a different journey, yeah. but still right in the corporate like ladder of success and trying to become a chief marketing officer is something that is stressful. But I think I'm handling it now with the knowledge that I had of 10 years of handling, handling a career incorrectly mm. now correctly. Um, so I, I work, um, I'm on the brand marketing team at Gannett and USA today, which is a cool brand to work for. I'm really like, it's a very mission driven organization, mm-hmm. like pushing forward local journalism and national journalism and, uh, standing for truth. Um, and now the way I'm handling work is, um, putting, enough of myself into it to be as to be great at the job to Mm -hmm. be outstanding at the job but not putting all of me into it and I think that's what I did for too long I put all of my identity Mm -hmm. all of my time and pretty much all of me into being an entrepreneur and and what it left me when I had no business who was I Mm. so now I'm like 
I strike the balance. I'm more than just a marketing lead and a big brand. I'm a father. I'm, I'm a participant in AA and I help people that way. Like I do all kinds of other stuff now. And I think, um, it's given me more time for my family, the way I handle work now, more time for friends, mm-hmm. um, more time for service opportunities in AA outside of AA. Um, because I'm not putting all of me into one thing. Yeah. So I think that's the way I'm handling. Yeah. That's work awesome. And, now. and congratulations on all those things. And so it sounds like like the, the drives that you have to do all of these things are so different and you've been able to recognize that and really like sort of put your ego to the side, which you can't, you know, I know from my experience with, um, recovery is that ego does not play a role in recovery. Yeah. Um, uh, Completely so, agree. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's awesome. And so you're, you talked about your family. Um, what, um, what do you hope your kids will learn from this experience? Yeah, I, um, I've, I've doled out like little hints of kind of my sobriety like they're pretty young now so i have a 10 year old a six year old a three year old and then a about to be an 11 month old um and i they're so young uh to like understand the nature of like sobriety and all that stuff but my oldest i'm pretty intentional about like sharing that i don't drink um Mm -hmm. and i share like it's not good for me like the early inklings of sobriety and like I'm not preachy about it with her because she's a child, but I'm just sharing, like, my perspective is I don't. And that's okay. It's mom's different. Other people are different. Just I don't. Um, And then with regard to, like, dealing with mental health, um, I, we've, my my kids have all had kind of, like, their own issues early on. And what I did with them was sought help early. Mm -hmm. Um, So my 10-year-old, I think we started seeing, her, her counselor when she was like six or seven or something her she had extremely as I have sometimes like bad anger issues mm. and so instead of dealing with it without help we uh, sought help and so we got I think I actually got a counselor for her before I got one for myself mm. uh truly like I didn't yeah. seek help but I, I knew I needed help with her <laughs> I was like this is this is tough like these yeah. these fights and fits and all this stuff is is wild and I want her to be happy that's the thing is like mm-hmm. I, I want her to be happy but I want her to figure out herself how to be happy and so I think the good thing now is like I'm t- tell there's nothing wrong with her mm-hmm. is what I tell her but we also try to seek help from others and so I think the stigma that I had going into it my first set of you know ther- therapy and go seeing a counselor um I'm trying to to do everything that she doesn't feel like any of those stigmas. It's something that I can use. It's a place that I can go. It's someone that I could see when I'm stressed Mm and anxious uh, and happy, but someone that will help me build a routine so that I can, and and mechanisms in her case to calm down and to deescalate and and work on that stuff. Um, So yeah, I think, so my, my oldest two currently, see a counselor as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're a little bit aware of my sobriety. I think as they get older, I'm going to be pretty, I'm going to be very real with them about my substance use. Um, because I had no one, the only stories that I had for me growing up was your grandfather is an alcoholic. Um, your grandmother is an alcoholic. 
one had to get a new liver and the other one lost everything like his relationship and, and marriage and all that stuff like that's what I heard growing up mm-hmm. but I had no one close to me that had cracked it that had figured out sobriety yeah um I had just normal non-alcoholic folks that were in my immediate family and I just heard stories of other people that were alcoholics mm. it couldn't be me yeah um so what I want to do and my kids might not have these issues and I'd be very blessed if they don't but if they do they'll have someone close to them that is actively working on their own and then that can share stories and it's something that i i wish i had um Mm -hmm. truly yeah and you know i think it's great that obviously your kids are able to you're able to bring your have your kids see counselors and get this help and support, especially at a young age. And, you know, I know that's not an option for everybody. And obviously it would be great if these type of things happened in schools and really were part, sort of part of growing up um, in it's in the education space so that parents did have those options. But I think also for you, you know, even if, if, even if you weren't able to do these things for them, just sort of the, by modeling, you know, this and the work that you're doing is going to be really impactful for them too which I think a lot of people can do because, you know, so many people dealing with this, you're, you're worried about what happens with your kids. You don't know whether to talk about it with them or be open. And, but just like you said, if we just keep avoiding it and pretending like it's not a thing, they're going to grow up thinking, Oh, it's not me. That's somebody else. It's someone you know, else that's over far there. Away. It's far away. Yeah. But it could be you too. Yeah. Like it could be any one of us. Yeah. And so I think like, I don't, I want them to know that like it, but they're not messed up. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing wrong with them if they are someone that needs help, whether it's substance or, or anxiety or stress mm-hmm. or work or any of that stuff. But the faraway thing, I think, is the issue. And I think now, which I like about like media in general and then even with sobriety, like there's people that are all – AA is not this like hidden group as much anymore. I feel like the people who are sober are a lot more – maybe a little bit more proud now or, mm-hmm. or at least like there's so much like – with social media, like a growth of like sober is cool. Facebook group, like all this stuff where you can like see it now. Yeah. So it's not far away. Right. Um, So I think that's super important. I need to continue. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, So what would you say to somebody as we kind of wrap up here, who is looking for help with, with getting sober? Hmm. Uh, I, I would say the, from, speaking only from my own experience Mm -hmm. and everyone has their own path um, is reaching out to people and it's particularly with sobriety uh, reach out to people who've been there Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you don't know where those people are there's meeting guide the app and aa.org I believe I'm pretty sure that's aa.org that has access to countless people in whatever city that you are in that have been there and that was the most, I mean, I loved my, my therapist. He was wonderful. The most helpful thing for me to understand my nature as an alcoholic was speaking to another alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel the same and uh, would, would be with any other substance abuse. It's, it's like, um, it's one of the joys that I get out of AA is speaking to other people and pouring into other people my story. And, and I, it's, it's one of the things that I got the most out of it was like, there was no there was no worry that like they don't get me they don't understand me like i would that could be with a therapist yeah um but i luckily my first therapist was also sober as well 
but the group setting and the people that you meet really helped me understand and and the variety of the people that you meet high powered business leaders that are have destroyed their life five times mm-hmm. have destroyed five businesses and then came back and that are successful in their own right and that are sober now like there's someone who's been who's been where you were and probably worse mm-hmm. and even not worse th- they could speak to you at a level that like you can understand and with empathy and so i think that was a thing that i would say is like reaching out for help use all the methods mm-hmm. to like at, at, from my own experience i tried all the things and it helped me mm-hmm. now my life revives around revolves around all that stuff from meditation to aa to therapy to whatever yeah um but but yeah that's what i'd say mm-hmm. reach out yeah to someone who's been there yeah when um in doing like my internship with substance use and recovery, like a lot of what I realized is there is this huge community here and there's, there are all of these amazing sort of support systems and a really great group of people who are, who have been through it, who have done the work and now want to then help other people. And so there's no shortage of people um, here in Baton Rouge or, you know, I think it's, it's the same in other cities in the AA community, um, AA therapy, all these different resources. And so, we, you know, we call it our toolkit. So as many things you can put in your toolkit as possible to get through this um, and you don't have to do it alone, obviously, is the, you know, is the important part. Um but yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there is there any like last thoughts that you want to share of like one thing that you would want people to take away from all of this? Ooh, um one one thing to take away from my story. Um I th- I think one thing that I would want anyone to to know is is something that I read early on as I was reading a lot of um Early on in sobriety, I was reading a lot of Stoicism, which actually a lot of the Stoics reference um, are, are referenced in, in AA materials and stuff like that. Um, the only way is through. Mm. I was reading this book called um, uh, uh, it's a Ryan Holiday book. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, Obstacles the Way. Sorry. I was reading <laughs> Obstacles the Way early on in sobriety. And it was like a perfectly timed book because I was dealing with countless obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter what you're faced with, whether it be like a family member dying, a, uh, a substance abuse problem, whatever, uh, the only way is through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I learned in the last two years. It's like I was faced with the most difficult scenarios, losing and, and dealing with career, relationship, sobriety, all that stuff all at once. And the only way I got through it was trudging through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard and it's tough and it's and it's sad and it's like difficult and all those things. And it's beautiful too, um, mm-hmm. like coming out the other side. But I will be faced with this again. Mm-hmm. There will be a scenario, not like maybe not sobriety, but something happens. So that's the one thing I would say to, to anyone listening to my story is like the way is through it. Mm-hmm. And then just figure out the way through it um, that is the most beneficial and least destructive and most fulfilling version of yourself uh, as you're dealing you're going through it yeah because it's when we when we try to avoid that thing that we often <laughs> really find ourselves in no making it worse there's no, no there's above or below not, unfortunately <laughs> it's just right through it <laughs> yeah yeah definitely <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing your story i know i'm sure a lot of people are going to connect with it and um you know it's no small thing to to be here so thank you thank you so much for having me this was fun and i'm gonna 
talk about Ray Media Company again. So great group. They're the ones that are producing this podcast for me. Um, and they, um, they are an amazing company with um, great experience. They specialize in weddings and podcast commercials and YouTube and business promotions. And it's been really great to work with them. They really strive to create a great client experience. I'm asking so many questions and asking for a lot of things. Um, And, you know, along the way, it's been really great um, to be able to sort of do this thing together with them. Um, So you're not, you're really not just a number to them. They work to build these lasting relationships with people. And I'm definitely a testament to that. But you can check out their website at rayamediagroup.com or even give Ken a call at 225-772-7504. Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey.